So when you look at the, the Puerto Rican and, and, and African-American experience in both the South Bronx and in Harlem and the Lower East Side of Manhattan, there, there's this convergence of like what we call, um, and there was a play named after this, like platanos, platanos and collard greens, you know, meaning that there was no difference. You know, folks were like over each other's houses, uh, sharing meals together, sharing the lived experience. And, and the Puerto Rican experience was in many ways the black experience. And in many ways, the, the black experience was uh, the, the Puerto Rican experience with, of course, you know, some some other nuances in between. Let's begin. Blank paper and pen. Stories to tell. Battles to win. Deep breath and count to ten. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. What up, folks? This is Leroy Barber with the Sit Up Podcast. And guess what? It is summertime. You know, uh, yeah. Now, I'm from Philly. So, uh, summertime, I, I connect with Will Smith's song, right? Summer, summertime, sit back and unwind. You know what I'm talking about? So, um, just want to wanna tee up the summer. Uh, and as we uh, get to our relaxed mode, uh, Sit Up Podcast is going to take a little little summer break as well. Now it's not going to change our content. There'll still be some content coming forward for you every week, uh, but we're not going to do a whole lot of live shows this summer. Uh, we'll, we'll do a couple, but uh, not a ton of those. You'll, you will still hear new stuff. Uh, we got some Jose Humphreys coming. We got an uh, interview with my wife, Donna Barber, coming. Uh, we Some stuff left over from Inhabit and the voices in our travel. So summertime will be this relaxed time for the Sit Up podcast. But I do have some questions about summer. Uh, you know, I always got questions. What's a cookout and barbecue to you, right? What does that look like? You're going you're gonna to have some barbecue, some cookout this summer. How's that? How's that gonna How's that gonna go over, right? I don't know. You like you like uh, your pulled pork, right? Or do you like yours barbecued with the bone on, right off the grill? Slap the sauce on it. Now you know our producer Andrew Morgan. He's from he's from Kansas City, so he's a little bit snobby about this barbecue thing. He got a whole process, right? So uh, we should we should do a show where he's just talking about how he prepares his barbecue because he'll go on for about thirty minutes about that thing. Um, so here in PDX, we got something called Good in the Hood, right? Where uh, we go down and there's a festival and everybody come out. Uh, there's some music, doing some old school stuff. Uh, so what what kind of festivals are happening in your city this summer? What what you gonna get out to? How you gonna how you gonna celebrate the summer and unwind? You know, some folks go camping. Now I know. Camping's, a, you know, that's a, some people camp, some people don't. You know, I know I got some black folks listening and going, we ain't going no camping, right? Uh, I know, I know. But some people are going to go camping. I think I'm going to take my kids camp. Some of y'all, all y'all don't know me, but I, I, I'm I, cool with an RV rolling out and get some camping done. So that's me. Uh, doors open, you open up the doors, right? You kind of let some of that hot air in. People kind of hanging out on on the stoop, right? If you're from Philly, you're hanging out on on the steps. If you're from Baltimore, you're sitting on the stoop, right? Uh, I, I get I don't know what they do in L.A. I'm not a West Coast guy, but I'm telling you, East Coast we out and about in the summertime, hanging hanging in the streets. Uh, schools out, kids are kids are either at the house all day, right? Now nowadays kids are on their video games, right? Uh, but when I was a kid. 
uh, we hung out all day long. We got up in the morning. We were outside playing football, getting all sweaty. Matter of fact, I don't know. This will tell you how old I am. My mom, my mom, we'd come in the house in the summer to eat. She'd be like, y'all smell fresh. Y'all smell like outside. I, I don't know what that means, but that's an old school Southern thing about the summer. Um, yeah, and and some people take a break from church in the summer. I Now, my mom, there was no such thing as a church break, right? But the church attendance in the summertime drops off. People don't go to church uh, in certain places. Now, and that's, that'll probably, that's a cool topic to talk about. Like, is that a cultural thing or is that all churches, right? Do, some, do, 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 do white churches fall off more than churches of color in the summer? I wonder. We should, we should maybe take some surveys. We, we should throw a survey up and, uh, and see, see what happens with church attendance in your church based on some cultural stuff. Um, and, um, the church I grew up in, there was, there was vacation Bible school. So I know, uh, even if you didn't go to church, like vacation Bible school, churches kind of do it up in the summer. I, I'd like to see that thing, like, like, you know, brought up the speed a little bit more, like, like cont- bring into some contemporary versions. Maybe y'all, your church should do like a church block festival for five nights, right? Get stuff out in the street, some barbecue stuff, close off the street and just have some block parties every night uh, and have the church get to know the community that way. That, that would be cool. That's, that's for free for y'all churches that don't, don't know what to do in the summer, but it's summertime y'all. And the sit up podcast is going to take a break. Uh, Content will still come at you every week or every other week. Still listen in and catch up if you need to. Start from the beginning and listen to us all over again at Sit Up Podcast. This is Leroy Barber. You can reach us on Facebook uh, at Sit Up Podcast. You can get me at Leroy Barber on my Twitter. You can get me on my Facebook. You can get me on my Instagram. Leave some messages this summer. I'd love to get back to you. We'll do a couple live shows just to keep it fresh. But y'all have a good summer out there. Let's begin. Listen, and let's be clear. You only get one chance, one opportunity, one request to appear, one moment to consider what you might hold dear, a few seconds to digest what might be coming near, a quick check of which direction you may want to steer. Maybe God is pro-choice. He gave each of us a will, a mind, a voice, and whether we will make statements, speak truth, or add to the noise is up to us to take the dust we've been given. To treat our seconds like scents and watch how we spend them. To use our words like olive branches in the mouths of birds and watch where we send them. Take the negative thoughts we were taught. Take our wounded souls and hearts and let God mend them. Let's begin. Blank paper and pen. Stories to tell. Battles to win. Deep breath and count to ten. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. begin. Welcome into the Sit Up Podcast. I'm your producer, Andrew Morgan, and we've got a chance to sit down with some of the most innovative people who are doing great things all over the country. And so I always like to point out that Sit Up stands for Sports, Innovation, Theology, You, which is the ugly, and not that I'm saying that you're ugly, but just talking about the injustices of the world and as well as public discourse. So we always want you to kind of interact with us. So you know, you can hit us up by looking up Leroy Barber on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, anywhere you can find Leroy Barber. Talk stuff to him about the Sit Up Podcast, and he will be happy to get with you about it. But uh, right now, we have one of those pieces from the eye. You know, we have one of those innovation pieces, someone 
who's figuring a unique and beautiful way to to get the job done. And so can you introduce yourself to the people? Absolutely. Uh, great to be here. Uh, my name is Jose Humphreys, and I'm a pastor of uh, Metro Hope Church in New York City in East Harlem, New York. All right. So what got you into the kind of work that you're doing? Like, yeah. first, actually, what are outside of pastoring, what what all do you do? Yeah, <laughs> that's what everybody asks. It's like, like with pastors, what do they do? And yeah. then, you know, do you have a side hustle? Yeah. Which, yes, in, in New York City, you need multiple uh, side <laughs> side hustles. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting that pastoring is not something that I, I think or I believe anybody should be running to. I, I think anyone's crazy if they yeah. want to be a pastor. Man, that's just crazy stuff. Uh, but prior to that, um, I was a nonprofit consultant, and I worked with... Uh, nonprofits and faith-based organizations uh, doing capacity building, uh, meaning that I did uh, leadership development, strategic planning, board development, and those kinds of things. And uh, I actually still do those things while I pastor as well, because uh, as I mentioned before, you know, New York City yeah. is just that kind of place. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can yeah, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> so how'd you get into it? Uh, the the pastoring or the I, consulting? I'm actually interested yeah, it, in both. Just, just and, a, okay, the side it, hustle it, stuff. Yeah, a reason yeah, yeah. why I'm really interested in the consulting thing because yeah. those are titles that a lot of African American men rarely mm. get a chance to to mm -hmm. pass around. So I want you to be able to give us a little bit of the game, you know, and yeah. inspire some of us who want to grow into that capacity. Yeah and, yeah, and consulting means that someone respects your point of view on on something. That's so let's kind of start with that, because before we get into like, how did you get into pastor and how did you get into that realm of work? You know, it was interesting in another life, I guess, before pastoring, uh, you know, I got a, a bachelor's of business administration. Right. And it's very rarely a deal that uh, people actually uh, perform in the area of their specialty, right? right. You know, you get, you know, people they get don't. bachelors and all kinds of stuff, and you know, you end up just doing something that's totally off the field. Because I guess when you're that age too, you know, when you're 18, 19, you're still kind of, you know, 20, exploring uh, what major uh, you're in and um, who you want to be when you grow up, right? Right. Uh, but for me, it, it's just interesting that when I, I did uh, the bachelor's of business administration and human resources management as a as a specialty, I just really loved. Uh, this idea of um, treating uh, nonprofits and institutions as as living organisms, uh, meaning that the same thing that individuals in many ways uh, embody, so do organizations, right? You know, just right. like individuals uh, can have uh, cultures and certain behaviors, so can organizations. Uh, just like individuals have, uh, you know, uh, cultural identity, uh, so maybe some sort of purpose in life, uh, so do organizations as well, except you're dealing with, with a collective. And there was just something about um, coming alongside of, of nonprofits and helping them to think about like, uh, you know, mission alignment, uh, reimagining re maybe their work in the community by doing an environmental scan because the hood is changing and yeah. now we have to adjust. You know, when I think when I think about those kinds of things, those those were things that really fascinated me. And just that just to respond even more directly, I think what really made the connection for me was uh, I've been facilitating for a long time. You know what I mean? And and that right. ironically started in the church, right? I didn't just consider myself like a Sunday school teacher, but I picked up a lot of facilitation skills. And then I got trained and I found that there was just this wonderful convergence of uh, being able to help nonprofits while also using facilitation skills to uh, to probe 
uh, to have and to have really good conversations. So I feel like those two things really came together for me. So so give me a little bit more like explain to me the importance of celebrating Mm -hmm. those natural skills and giftings or some of those giftings and skills that came out in the church setting. Yeah. But celebrating them in the professional realm. That's right. That's right. So like you, you, you know, and that's a hard thing for a lot of people to do. Like they're not realizing they're sitting on the ability to be a facilitator. That's right. So how did you come to terms with that? Man, you know, when you talk about the black and the Hispanic church, the Latino, Latinx church, you, you, when you think about young people are thrust into leadership positions at such an early age, you know, many seminaries kind of look, you know, kind of look down on that, you know, and say, well, you know, they didn't get the right, proper uh, training, the proper perspective. But make no mistake, people are getting mentored in these settings and people are learning yeah. how, how to lead, how uh, to facilitate, how to uh, do lesson plans. And um, so you take basically, I guess if we can call it the church hustle, right? Because yeah. when I even think back to my first uh, job, which I wasn't really technically qualified for. You know, I was right. a, a 20-year-old kid, snot-nosed kid, uh, applying for a, a supervisory position at a homeless shelter. With It was an 88-bedroom facility. And I just remember not necessarily necessarily cooking up an in, inauthentic <laughs> resume, but just taking the skills from the church, right? So if it wasn't a youth ministry position, yeah. it was I was the youth coordinator, right? right? And all of a sudden, you know, I wasn't necessarily just teaching Sunday school, but I was an educator, right? And it's really just about jargon and, and language, right, that, that allows for these pathways. It's, it's basically knowing how to work your gift yeah. and, and also knowing how to sell your strengths. And and I think that that's something that, you know, our community, black community, Afro Latino community has not been taught. Yeah. It's a lot of self pride. You got to have a little bit of pride. That leads me to my next question, which you like, what's your experience been in your walk as a, as a follower of Christ coming in with what you would describe as, would you describe it as a Latinx as black? Like how do you describe your, your experience? Like what's your ethnic background and how do you describe your experience? being a follower of Jesus within that context? Yeah, that's a powerful question. And, you know, on the surface, people might think it's 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 uh, simplistic, but it's not. It's, it's really not a simple question. Because I, I think it, it all depends on where I am and 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 knowing uh, either who's in the, the audience, if I'm speaking, or who I'm having a conversation with uh, and how I want um, not to necessarily uh, people to see me, but just what side of me I'd like for them to see, if that makes sense. Right. So, uh, you know, it's, it's so interesting uh, about this whole thing, Latino, Latinx. I'm not totally even sold on the whole Latinx thing because right. I feel like it's it's kind of a young progressive uh, construct. And when you, to, to just take that that and, and change it in that way to kind of like make it more, I guess, gender neutral, when, you know, you have whole countries, right, Latin America, where people are going to still obviously use like, you know, masculine and, and, and feminine pronouns and those kinds of things. But, you know, when in Rome, right, I, I also right. like to honor um, people's language and, and people's experiences. I'm uh, Puerto Rican. My okay. parents came here in, in the 1950s. I'm also New York Rican, uh, as you know, which is a very particular experience, meaning uh, Puerto Rican born in New York. Uh, so where you in New York, if you think about, you know, 1970s and 1980s, where you had the genesis of hip hop in the South Bronx or some some would say Queensbridge, but it really was the South Bronx. Uh, you had uh, Puerto Ricans who were an integral part of, of hip hop culture. 
uh, from breakdancing, from graffiti, and all of the different elements that go into um, hip hop, like uh, turntables and those kinds of things. So when you look at the, the Puerto Rican and, and, and African-American experience in both the South Bronx and in Harlem and the Lower East Side of Manhattan, there, there's this convergence of like what we call, um, and there was a play named after this, like platano, platanos and collard greens, you know, meaning that there was no difference. You know, folks were like over each other's houses, uh, sharing meals together, sharing the lived experience. And, and the Puerto Rican experience was in many ways the black experience. And in many ways, the, the black experience was uh, the, the Puerto Rican experience with, of course, you know, some some other nuances in between. So yeah. uh, when I identify, I say I honor all of that because it's it's all of me. I'm not yeah. one of them, yeah. them, them Latinos who denies his his African heritage uh, or, or any anything like that, you know. Good. I like that answer. So what about uh, from a from a, the context of like how you were able to really become a follower and, and, and really get into this walk of ministry? Like, how did that play into it? Like all that you just described, how was that introduced to you in your community? Wow. You know, that, that, that that's been a journey. Of course, you don't start in those places. Right. With that right. kind of like, quote unquote, uh, I guess, wokeness or. Uh, you know, self-awareness, you you learn things about yourself. Um, I learn things about myself and I, I try to really integrate them into my own spiritual formation. So for me, you know, information is not just information, but if there's a part of information that could also lead to my formation and, and also some uh, richer identity development, then I want to incorporate it into my reality. And and I do that with my parishioners as well. You know, we talk about how, for example, in our church, ethnicity is a big deal. You know, uh, knowing where you are, knowing your roots, uh, knowing that, that God um, speaks through that as well as our yeah. own, uh, through our own unique uh, cultures and the tapestry that, that God creates through, through human beings uh, and neighborhoods and in society. So, uh you know that's 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 pretty much uh, something that we emphasize in the church, and it's, some, it's something that I've learned over the years. Uh, when it comes down to it, really, um, it's also a way of, of looking at the the Bible, right? Bottom line, if I'm going to integrate uh, those things that I mentioned to you, right, being Afro Latino, you know, uh, being an entrepreneur, being a consultant, you know, I, I guess the question at the end of the day that uh, people in church want to know is like. How does this kind of relate to my faith? Yeah. And, you know, there's all kinds of examples in scriptures where, you know, ethnicity is honored or, um, you know, better business practices, like in the case of uh, Zacchaeus, right, who was a, yeah. pred a predatory lender, right? Jesus uh, has has his way, you know, invites himself over to dinner. Next thing you know, Zacchaeus is going back into communities, uh, you know, giving back. And, and and we see elements of that, that restorative justice. So yeah. for me, it's, it's, it's I guess it's, a, it's, it's always been like this, um, integration, right? How, how do these pieces all fit and make uh, me who I am so that I can uh, speak from that place in a way that's seamless, right? I don't got to separate this from that, but recognize that, you know, hey, all this stuff actually belongs uh, to me as a disciple of Christ. Good. I hope that makes some sense. No, it does. Makes perfect sense. So let's kind of shift to your writer. Mm -hmm. That's another thing, yeah. you know, that wasn't quite mentioned, you know, at the beginning. <laughs> it's but, another hustle. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so how'd you get into that game? Because that's not a game that a lot of people, uh, you know, we, we don't get a chance to occupy that space too often. Yeah. 
Uh, we love reading as a community, as a people, but not often do we get a chance to read authors that look and sound like and come from where we're from. Mm. So how did you get into that space? Wow. You know, that, that, that one's a long story. I'll try to give you about how I, how about I, how I just got into writing and then, yeah. you know, kind of make my way from there. You know, it's, it's so interesting that, you know, I've, I've always been a decent writer. You know, I've loved uh, the English uh, language for, for such a long time. And I remember in high school writing a short story. It was a mystery. And my teacher um, just being super impressed with it and saying, hey, you should just really pursue this. And, you know, I'm from the hood and all this other stuff. So I, it's not like you kind of get that kind of encouragement from your neighborhood or from friends. So I kind of dismissed it for a while and, uh, you know, explored writing maybe later on, you know, a few years later where I had some opportunities to, you know, write a couple of short columns and stuff. But I, I think I kept the way that I kept it up in between that time was just through a lot of blogging, man. I blogged, yeah. I blogged for years and, and, you know, I, I may have had like one subscriber, right? <laughs> you know <what> I'm saying? <laughs> one person actually liking my comment or in those days we didn't even have a like button. It was a, a comment. Right. And yeah, sometimes right. that could be like zero for a long time. Uh, but I think it, it was in that crucible of just, you know, like they say, what, 10,000 hours, right? Just, you know, practicing and, um, you know, finding my voice in the midst of that. Uh, you know, I eventually started uh, going from blogging to writing columns and articles. And then, uh, you know, Helen Lee from um, University Press, She's uh, she was an editor at the time. Uh, well, she was writing for Christianity Today before she moved to IVP. She had uh, heard our church's story and thought it was fascinating. And she said, you know, how uh, how do you like to come in for an interview? And somehow the interview didn't work out. But one year later, and this was after I graduated from seminary and made uh, made it a goal to write more. That was I was my prayer. I was like, God, I want to write more. And I want, you know, maybe the writing to be published if it's if it's something that you see. Uh, so she, not a year later, you know, Helen sends me this email and it was just like, uh, Jose, how would you like to write a book? Because I find that your your church story and even your personal story is fascinating. And you know that don't happen every day where a publisher's like knocking on your door yeah, or sending no, you an email. Yeah. So I knew right there and then it was just kind of like this this uh, this endorsement um, and, and an, an endorsement, a divine endorsement, and also uh, an open door that, that I didn't want to take for granted, but I was going to seize that moment in, in every uh, good way. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about this. I'm actually going to ask you two questions. Uh-huh. I want you to tell us about your book. Yeah. But I don't want to forget to ask you to tell me this story about your church, mm-hmm. you know, because if it was fascinating enough for you to get it got you a book deal. Yeah. yeah. I need to hear this story. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me about your uh, can you please tell me about your church? Sure. Sure. I mean, uh, can, your book, book first okay. and then your church. Sure. So seeing Jesus in East Harlem, what happens when uh, churches show up and stay put is uh, a biblical, uh, a theological and I would even say an autobiographical uh, story about what happens when churches uh, take uh, personal salvation and, and ask the question, what is it for? Uh, prophetic witness, uh, meaning what happens when I stay rooted in uh, communities and uh, begin to be mindful of my presence there so that it's uh, redemptive and contributing uh, to, to healing and also justice. And... Um, uh, prophetic witness I, I had mentioned and and also place which is the third um, the third phase of it like uh, when we inhabit places when we uh, spend um, any amount of time with intention with sincerity with our neighbors 
uh, you know, suffering to what neighbors suffer, uh, going through, um, you know, the ordinary mundane rhythms of just living in a community doesn't even have to be exciting. Uh, how does that intentional kind of staying uh, transform our sight? So, uh, you know, those are like the three phases that I, I, I mention in the book. And the, the other way that we interpret them in the book is like what, you know, uh, showing up, uh, staying put and seeing like what, what are the results of, of showing up and staying put? Uh, we, we, I believe that it's, it's a, a transformative uh, process that um, not only individuals can go through, but we as a church uh, can go through um, as well. So I, I wanted something that uh, church planners could read and, and feel like they were not alone, that pastors, seasoned pastors could also read and also feel like, oh, there's there's different ways of approaching uh, not only the scripture text, but also um, neighborhoods as well. And, and what I've also heard, which has been re which has been really encouraging, is that, you know, lay folks are reading it and, and finding uh, just uh, amazement that, you know, such a church even exists. And, and it's something that you take for granted sometimes when you're immersed in, in the narrative and, and also the history of it. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, it's been a pretty amazing story, which I guess a segue for your next question, which was about like, you know, just to share a little bit about the church. I think what's fascinating about the church is how we started and, and how we've been able to still uh, survive and thrive in, in, in a gentrifying neighborhood. But when we first started, we were this kind of like ragtag group uh, that was ecumenical in nature. We started off as a conversation, really, with no intention of starting a church. So you had, uh, you know, some evangelicals, some Presbyterians, some burnt out Pentecostals, uh, an Irish Catholic, Catholic Jesuit. Uh, you had a, a couple of Christian anarchists who were squatting in, in, a, in a home in Brooklyn. And uh, you had someone who was b between Islam and Christianity. So you had this <laughs> real ecumenical group that sounded like a good joke that you tell at a bar. Right. Right. A except it wasn't a bar. It was a church plant. And. Uh, you know, it was in that um, journey of having honest discussions about faith uh, in, in both brave spaces, but also vulnerable spaces where we began to find some traction. And we asked the question, hey, uh, what would it look like if we began to uh, consider uh, starting a church in, in East Harlem? And that, that was, uh, you know, justice minded that look at the that looks at the gospel uh, more uh, holistically instead of being narrow, that uh, is racially diverse and is uh, uh, breaking down the dividing walls of hostility. And, and I mean, we, we were super naive, as you can tell, <laughs> yeah. at the time, thinking uh, that we would conquer, uh, the, you know, hell with a water pistol, so to speak. But uh, I find that, you know, and the book makes light of this as well, that through many of my mistakes, uh, through just, you know, my honest assessments about my own limitations as a pastor, uh, you know, we we also see the, you know the miracles of of God and hope. You know what happens when people show up together and uh, witness the transformation and the signs and wonders. I'm gonna ask you two last questions. And so, my first question is related to just gentrification. Personally, how are you like? How are you dealing with this? Because you're a native, right, of of, the, of that area and. You know, is there any root trauma, shock, you know, from seeing some of these things happening? What is it doing inside of you seeing gentrification on a personal level? That's a great question. And while I'm not native to East Harlem, I've been there for almost 20 years. So okay. uh, I, I have tapped into the roots, though, into the root uh, system and, and some of the collective hurt and pain. And the neighborhood that I'm originally from went through the same narrative where... Um, 
it, it's become super expensive. People have been displaced. The Lower East Side of Manhattan, which I mentioned in the book. Uh, so I, I, I've been in the midst of, of two uh, real gentrification stories. And to answer on, a, I guess on a personal level, right, there, there's a sense of uh, displacement, except you're still living there. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you, you see how folks move in and the attitude and the posture that they move in with. And it's almost like they're waiting you out. They're like, uh, well, we know this neighborhood is up and coming. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, we know this will change. <laughs> and and you, you almost get the sense that, um, you know, some have said that, you know, urban renewal is, is just another code word for Negro removal, as I heard yeah. one politician say. So uh, it, it, there's a sense of trauma and there's a sense of uh, feeling divided uh, because I recognize that because of my own education, I, and and also, um, you know, my wife and I are both young professionals or, well, semi-young, I guess, at this point, uh, that, that we also are part of that narrative on some levels as well. So I have to be self-critical. So on yeah. one hand, it's it's about really challenging people who are moving in to really think about uh, a new type, a new way of staying, because we cannot uh, contradict, in a sense, uh, counteract the, the, these forces in New York City specifically, maybe in other places like Pastor Jay talked about in, in Inglewood. Uh, and what they're doing, uh, but it, it really is a, a a sense of loss. And to be on, uh, honest, and not over dramatic, uh, I, I feel for for certain parts of New York City, uh, a kind of a, a, an apocalyptic moment, meaning the end of of a community, yeah, as we know it. Yeah, I can imagine. So, what's next for you, your church, your writing, your consulting, as you as a whole? Like, where do you? Where do you see yourself going? What's what what can we look forward to with you? What's exciting? What's new? That's a great question. Uh, I, I think uh, I definitely want to write another book. Uh, I find I, I think I have one in me, and I, I think it's going to be uh, kind of looking at the intersections of, of of healing and also shalom and justice and and how those things work together because uh, too many of our uh, prophets uh are activists in the church uh people are getting burnt out left and right doing the kind of work that we do you know a lot of the folks in habit can testify to that and in terms of uh what i look forward to i i think right now the the, the book has been a really good contribution to to a larger conversation about how the church can be church and i'm looking forward to to creating uh you know pilgrimages uh in east harlem uh immersion experiences uh around the book and and, and help people to, and groups from both out of town and in the city to really think about um, how to live differently in, in neighborhoods as uh, the incarnational presence of Christ. All right. Well, thank you for uh, joining us on the Sit Up Podcast. Really, really enjoyed my time with you, man. And Likewise. Thank you. Enjoying it. Uh, I look forward to reading your book, and, and we're going to have you back on because I really, really want to hear what it would sound like to have you and Leroy together going back and forth on some issues so we're definitely going to have you back on the podcast yeah Leroy is my brother yeah I would love to do that all right thank you peace
Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin.